Before we start the show, just a word from our sponsor, Undeniable Press. For all your screen printing needs, located in the Corktown District of Detroit, Michigan. If you ever need any t-shirts or any other little promo accessories, posters, or whatnot printed up for you, go to Undeniable Press. They're located, once again, in the Corktown District of Detroit, Michigan. And you can uh, reach them at facebook.com slash undeniablepressdetroit. And those same guys who do Undeniable Press also have a clothing line called 20 by 20 Apparel. It's very much wrestling themed. All sorts of nostalgic themes in regards to the history of wrestling. And you can go check out their clothing line at 20x20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20, apparel.com. Now let's start the show. Fresh is the word. I'm Jim Duggan, got long wood for plenty hoes. I keep it fresher than fresh, but you already know. You suckers bummy, I'm money, I got a ton of flows. My weed loud like a motherfucking thunder roll. Your shit quiet like you ballin' on a budget though. We see your kicks and we laugh and yelling what it goes. You see me shining like a suit on puffy. You know my grind and shit is too strong, buddy. That's why the dude call money. I be stuntin' like it's nothing at all. Cause it's nothing to me, it's probably something to y'all. Trying to smoke like me, then come and fuck with your dog. Got a closet full of kicks, you can't cop it tomorrow. And I'm fresher than the freshest, you can tell it's in my essence. Bitch, you see the way I'm rapping? Yes, I do this shit to death. I tell I'm running out of breath. I tell somebody cut a check. But either way, you know it's fresh. But either way, you know it's fresh. Fresh. We fresh. 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 Welcome to the Fresh is the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. Like always, we have a great show for you. Right now, I'm on WrestleMania Hangover. This weekend, NXT TakeOver, WrestleMania, both really great, fun events. A lot of great matches, a lot of swerves, heel turns, whatever. Man. It was a fun weekend. WrestleMania is the, the Christmas for a wrestling fan. So I'm on Hangover right now. And when I'm recording this intro, we still have the Raw and SmackDown after WrestleMania. That's pretty, pretty much where all the new storylines start or, you know, the fallout of, you know, WrestleMania. Maybe people get called up from NXT to the main roster. Dude, all right, super cool, man. So another WrestleMania is in the books and had a lot of fun watching it. Uh, this week's guest super fun one of my favorite interviews that i've done recently uh she's a singer songwriter that i've been aware of for the past few years uh she's from kansas city she her name is mackenzie nicole she is on hip-hop artist tech nine's strange music label uh she's the first artist on their new imprint called strange main it's a more of a pop oriented label and she has a new album coming out this friday april 13th called the edge so we get into the makings of that album and also you know Growing up in the music, with the music industry being so prevalent in her life, uh, the influence that Tech Nine had on in her life and career, um, we talk about the Midwest aesthetic of music. You know how things from here in Detroit to Kansas City, everywhere in that sort of middle ground between, you know, New York and LA in Atlanta, is so unique in its own way. So we kind of get we talking about like 
that sort of fandom and the universe that all that sort the universes that, that that sort of creates and then you know we talk about the power of the voice of the youth because she's you know she's only she's 18 years old and a classically trained uh, vocalist it's and she's super like I'm super impressed like and I think I've talked about this in previous episodes where with you know and we talk about this on, on this episode where with you know with the the voice of the youth being such a important topic right now with you know the parkland shootings and whatnot it's like i feel like we have to listen to the youth they have a unique perspective you know it's it always it kind of got to be a cool thing to rag on the youth saying oh they're stupid they're just eating tie pods and doing what others i mean that's just a fringe group that dude there's there's people the youth has always been the the catalyst of any movement for any generation and they just want to have a, a a world to live in someday they don't want it to turn to shit so that's you know so the the the, the power of the the youth voice is important we need to listen to it we need to help mold it so you know we talk about that and she and like i said she's super cool I really enjoyed this interview. And without further ado, let's get into my interview with Mackenzie Nicole. Yeah, congratulations. You have a uh, your debut album, The Edge. Good. Yeah, I've gotten a chance to listen to it, and it's a, it's a really good album. I was actually really anticipating uh, listening to your album because I've been I've been on uh, because I've always uh, been paying attention to what's been going on with strange music. I've been a fan of Tech Nine for a long time. So I've definitely been uh, following uh, your music since you started uh, coming upon the scene. Um, with the with the album The Edge, what's the the meaning behind the name? So for me, a debut album, by my definition, is supposed to be your introduction as an artist in a lot of ways. And while it's not necessarily going to be anyone's perfect project, right? It's not the passion project. It is your first attempt to start laying that foundation. And part of that introduction, in my mind, should be what you think people should know about you before they choose to become a fan and follow you on whatever journey you might be anticipating taking, right? And as a person, um, I'm a very, very extreme person, right? I take everything um, too far. And I think that's probably my one of my most prominent qualities is that I'm pretty much all in or all out. And really take things well to the edge, if you will, um, as far as possible without falling off. Sometimes I do fall off, and then I have to deal with that. And I think you even hear some of those moments in the album as well. And so, really, the edge is just this metaphorical, um, I guess, expression of that quality in myself, and also a literal moment. Um, that inspired that song was when we were recording it, um, myself and the production duo out of Los Angeles, The Jam. Um, we were, you know, touring the facilities one day at uh, Strange Music, right? Um, by that, I mean, you know, Travis, CEO, was uh, showing around Jordan Michael. And there was one part of our merchandising center that was still under construction, right? So mm-hmm. there was this, like, one- or two-story drop that was a direct wall. It was just a ledge with no rail. So you could theoretically run directly straight up to the edge, off the edge, and fall, probably to injury or death. And so as Travis was talking to the guys, I kind of walked over, and I'm a fan of heights, and so I walked over directly as far as I could get to the edge of this 
like one or two story drop um, without falling off. Trav turns around, sees me do it, immediately starts yelling at me, <laughs> and naturally, and naturally because I'm me, I uh, you know just got close. I was like, oh, you want me to go? You want me to step back? Okay, okay, and just kept getting closer to it. And Jordan, who witnessed this when we got back in the studio, said, hey, I have an idea. And he kind of took this literal moment and expanded it into this metaphor that now we're using to explain um, just this part of myself that I think if you're going to be a fan and you want to know one thing about me, that's the thing to know. With this sort of uh, metaphor of the edge for the album, you know, and speaking of this foundation that you were able, that you wanted to set with this album, you know, what do you think you were successful? Uh, what do you think you were successful with on the edge to be able to sort of introduce yourself to the world? Well, ultimately, my goal as an artist isn't necessarily to just be a pop artist, right? Not to diminish being a pop artist by saying just be one, but for me, um, a character that I look to for inspiration right now is Rihanna, because at this point in her career where we stand here, you know, March 20th of 2018, Rihanna has done pretty much every genre. She has released Anti, which was a masterpiece, but all that started when she was 17 and 18 with Pwned to Replay and an entire album worth of club hits, right? Right. It took her creating this foundation, right? Casting that wide net with that type of music to then become the Rihanna that we know today, or at least to be able to do all the genres she's capable of without being a jack of all trades and to do her passion project, which from all, you know, outward appearances appeared to be anti and be able to do that project justice because she had grown enough as an artist to accomplish it. Right. Right. That's what I want to do. And for me, my version of Pwned to Replay, my version of doing an album worth of club smashes is the edge, right? It's the pop version of that. For me, the way, you know, my wide net is being cast by doing a very like very solid pop record. And while I do want to, you know, branch more into other genres, I do want to go a little like indie rock. You know, I I love rock music, so I'd love to do a little bit more rock leaning um, later on. I'd like to do something more in the lane of, you know, what Flume does, what Marshmallow is doing right now, um, where it's pop, but it just has this new dynamic sort of movement to it that you don't hear um, or I feel like I haven't heard in a long time. Um, Maybe even some R&B lean. All of that is going to come with time because if I try to do all of that right now, even if I don't fail, I will not succeed either, you know, and that's almost worse because it means you just broke even. And I genuinely feel like I have a potential to do more than break even, but in order to get the resources to grow as an artist enough, I have to start somewhere. So I think that the edge's biggest success is in my mind, um, an artist, who grew up in a rap label, was classically trained to sing opera, um, trying to create a pop album when I know nothing about the genre, and I feel like doing fairly well at creating a good pop album. Under the whole strange music umbrella, this is predominantly a rap label, and with in, in other situations on other labels where maybe a, a vocalist would be signed to uh, a rap label, there would be there'd be almost this tendency for that 
you know, a person's album to be very much like the rapper's uh, albums or be filled with all sorts of features from everybody on the uh, label. But that th isn't the case with your album. This is, like you said, this is a, this uh, foundation pop album. The only feature on it is the last uh, track on there with Tech 9 You know, what's, what's your thoughts about having this sort of freedom and having space sort of um, from the rest of the strange music umbrella? Well, here's the thing, you know, Strange has been talking about doing pop music for over seven years now, and finally with this album, The Edge, we get to begin that and begin our uh, pop division, which has been coined Strange Main. And for me, you know, part of, another reason that doing pop was the move for me right now, right, when I could easily have tried something else, is because in order for Strange Music to do more than just hip-hop, which was always the intention, in order for us to get the resources to like do our indie folk division in you know in seven years or whatever, right? Whatever outrageous stuff want to do down the road, we need to allocate some resources to do that. And why not go for the genre with no ceiling? That is pop music, right? And for me, even though I am hugely urban influenced, like my entire hip hop really is my heart and soul. I love it more than anything else, you know. And some of that does lead through in the production of my album, just because it's what's innate to me. You even get, you know, you get a lot of hip hop and a lot of rock vibes off of some of the drums and some of the guitar, right? But getting the distance in terms of not having it feature heavy and not having it sound like it's on a rap label was something that is bittersweet because while there is a departure from strange music that maybe we've come to know and love, if anyone's going to do it, I know that the core fan base that I've grown up with and that I hold as family to me, trust me. You know, and that may sound arrogant at first, but, you know, a lot of our fans, we have a cult-like following. You said you follow Strange Music, so you know that, right? Right. And so, exactly. And so that fan base does get a little nervous when we say we're going to start a pop division, especially because Strange Music is grassroots. We're underground, you know? And if they're going to trust anyone to try and help spearhead that, and the people have spoken, they, I have their trust because I've done my time i've been featuring with tech since i was nine years old that's half of my life i've been on records with tech records with prozac records with seth crew chris calico i've worked with almost every artist on our label at this point and they know that if anyone's going to be able to make pop strange you know if anyone's going to be able to bring what makes strange music strange music into the pop realm it's going to be me and so there is a distance you know in some ways because we are starting this new division of the label but I try to reduce that distance as much as possible because I still want the core fan base who I owe so much to and who all of us owe so much to, to feel included in this top effort if they want to be included. And for the most part, I'm very fortunate because most of them do. And I have a really great core base made up of technicians and strange music fans who support this movement in the pop and support my movement as an artist. Yeah, I'm from I'm from here in Detroit, so I grew up with the whole insane clown posse, psychopathic records, yes. Esham, real life production, and they have like the similar fan base as Tech Nine and Strange Music has, where they where they gravitate towards the whole label and the whole universe that's being created, and so I can understand where you're coming from, but at the same time, they uh, all these sort of fan bases are open to seeing where an artist will go with their thing exactly and the thing that's really cool i'm glad you brought up being from De um, detroit because i didn't actually know that and that means that 
as a Detroit hip hop fan, you know, you understand what I'm about to say. Regional rap is something that I'm a huge believer in. You know, a lot of people think that rap has kind of lost, you know, it's, you know, distinct regional sound because of the age of SoundCloud rappers and the age of streaming where all of that cultural influence kind of becomes homogenous. But if there's anything that defines Midwestern rap for me, and I'm talking about rappers like Tech, like Eminem, like Prof, you know, um, like ICP, it's these characteristics, you know. For me, it's a horrorcore influence with a theatrical kind of edge to it with the character voices or with the stage performances, with the overall look, with painted faces and, you know, like I said, caricatures and your voice when you're doing your music. And also that cultish fan base, you know, you just don't find that elsewhere in the hip hop world from at least not by my definition, you don't find an ICP or a strange music fan base elsewhere. And I think that that's, what's really cool about our regions, um, our regional sound and our regional culture in the hip hop world. You know, I have a lot of opinions about this and this is what I could talk about for ages. But yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'm really glad that you rec that you have the ability because you're from Detroit to kind of recognize that culture that we have of hip hop in, in uh, the Midwest. Yeah. That's how I got, that's how, that was the main thing that sort of got me into like hip hop and music, you know, as a, as a young kid, man, I was like, I started listening to all that stuff when I was like 12 years old. And it was because that it was like this thing, like even though at the time all these artists like ICP and Isham were just like these sort of regional artists, they were at the same time these like larger than life sort of beings at that time also, uh, just from like the outside looking in. So it was like, I, yeah, I think that's something that is very unique to the Midwest that we have these sort of artists and these sort of fandoms going on with our with the with with our music throughout history yeah and it's something that you know i i always say that of all like music cultures you know is the midwest historically like the most vibrant not necessarily but i think it is one of the most interesting because in reality you know not to play off stereotypes, but we don't have L.A., New York-type action. We don't have Atlanta-type action, you know? The things that we have have this massive groundswell that becomes this huge movement. And like you said, a universe created because, what you know, the good stuff is oftentimes solitary and easy to find, and so it's easy to get behind, you know? And it's something that I and feel fortunate enough to take advantage of here with uh, with my album, with my career, because uh, I am fortunate enough to be a part of Strange Music, and if you've come anywhere near Kansas City, you hear about Strange Music 99% of the time, and I'm fortunate enough to be, if I'm correct, like maybe the only emerging pop artist trying to make it out of KC right now. If I was living exclusively in L.A. or New York or anywhere else with a different music scene or, you know, down in Tennessee or wherever, right? I would be one of thousands, thousands, and thousands of talented ones as well, you know? And so I feel, you know, I hope that I can kind of bring that same sense of fandom and, again, community, because the Strange Music family is in a lot of ways, not in a lot of ways, it is a family. I said the right word the first time, you know? Um, I would love to establish that among um, my fans and my fan base. 
that whole family aspect of Strange, you know, how has it helped uh, along the way since you said you've been, you know, featured on tracks and working with uh, the other artists on the label since you were nine years old, which is crazy <laughs> to think about. Yeah, it's, it's super crazy. My first—oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I know, it is crazy to think about. My first, um, you know, professionally recorded song was this Tech Nine and Three Six Mafia, and I was nine years old, and when I first had the, I wasn't allowed to hear the song until I was older and listened to it myself. Like, that's how, that's the kind of work we were doing because of Three Six Mafia's verse. And so, for me, the family aspect of Strange, I'd say, is probably the most, if, if Strange had a defining characteristic, it is the like the familial atmosphere among the fans and the artists and the entire staff, you know, the label started in the basement of a home in suburban blue Springs, Missouri. And, you know, my entire life, I was following the tours, you know, as a child for months on end, or I was, you know, doing manual labor in the warehouses when I was, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, you know, and onward. Right. Every, you know, I was spending overnights for days at a time living at the office. And really, when I say that every single moment of my childhood is consumed with strange music, I mean it. And, you know, tech is over at my house, every family, you know, over at my parents' house, every family Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we all go on family vacations together. So (laughs) there's definitely that element of like, oh my, like, do you guys truly like, I'd be, you know, it's, we can only be closer if we shared blood, you know, and that's, that's the thing. Ultimately, that's really affected me. And you hear that in tracks like uh, I did a hook for Tech uh, that I presented to him uh, about a year or two ago called We're Not Sorry, right? And it, uh, We're Not Sorry is, for me, my anthem for this, mo- like, this mafia mentality that is strange music, you know? It's the Godfather. It's the Godfather and Straight Outta Compton had a film, like, a cinematic baby. Like, that's exactly <laughs> what, it, that's what it is. And so for me, I think that's affected me in a couple ways. First of all, it's, uh, it has given me a profound appreciation for um, business, that business that's ruled by, you know, compassion rather than money, you know, if that makes sense. Not saying that's the mentality of everyone here per se, but I definitely think that, um, you know, and I am very involved, very involved in the business side of the company as well, and that's a little bit less public than obviously my artist stuff. Um, But that's given me a unique perspective in terms of keeping consideration to making sure that, you know, the people who start with you end with you, you know, and you want to build to get, you know, you build with people, not on people. And that's something that's really important to me also. And then just from the influence of the other artists, um, you know, tech for me, you know, regularly, especially when acting like, you know, first came out and all this really first started and kicked up two years ago, um, just calls to say, Hey, like, you know, this is going to, you know, you, you know, you're going to do well, right? Like, and you know, this project, it's good. Right just to make sure that I remember that. <laughs> like, and that's something that, you know, especially in times where I'm not really feeling my most confident, which is literally all the time, because I'm not a particularly, like, you know, confident out there person, um, despite my job, what my job and my general persona may um, mislead you to. It's something that, you know, this environment is very good for me in that respect. That part of the environment is very good to support. Um, 
you know, recently I had the privilege of, you know, Strange Music has a independent um, a uh, radio station on Dash Radio, you know, DJ Ski's deal, called um, Independent Grind. And I recently got to interview Tech for that station because they thought, you know, the boys thought, hey, it'd be kind of a cool dynamic to have Mackenzie interview Tech from her perspective because that's a very human conversation you're going to get for the, those two that, you know, you aren't going to get and then them conversing with anyone else, you know, right. because of the level they know each other. And honestly, like, I've went back, and especially as I've been, you know, dealing with some personal stuff lately, because this interview was about a couple months ago, and re-listened to the interview about, I don't even know how many times, because there's a point in it where um, I get, I have this question they wanted me to ask of, you know, I'm beginning my career, what's your advice for a beginning artist? You know, it's a good question, so I asked Tech some version of that. And his response was, you know, take the job. And I was confused by that. And he said, you know, you just got to take the job, baby girl. And I was like, okay. And I'm trying to, and I'm waiting for him to elaborate because, you know, Tech, he talks. Right. <laughs> he, yeah. And he says, you know, even when you aren't sure and even when you're afraid and when it doesn't make sense, when you haven't tried it before, just do it. Do whatever opportunities in front of you, just do it. Because, It'll it'll go well or it won't, and if it doesn't or it does, you're going to be different because of it, and you're going to grow because of it. And again, this is an interview now that I would just rec- you know I would re- recommend anyone to listen to, and if you have the chance, you know if you're as a you know as someone who's lost tech, it may interest you. But that particular line is something that is only the advice that you would get knowing tech the way I know tech, and so things like that are things that, you know, make this familial atmosphere, make me really feel that. And again, by the way, real quick, I talk very, very long, obviously. <laughs> so um, if at any point you want me to shut up, just let me know, okay? No, 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 keep doing your thing. I, I want, this is all good stuff. Good, I'm glad you think so. Again, uh, I, I know I have a lot of words. <laughs> no, this is all good stuff. Just do your thing. This is your interview. <laughs> No, it was funny the other day I was um I was listening to uh Tech Nine's Six and Sevens album and one of my favorite songs on there is So Lonely, but I didn't realize the other day that that was you singing on it and I'm thinking I'm like, "Yo, this this record's been out for a while. How old was she on this?" I'm like I was like, "Dang, she must have had was, been a kid." Yeah, I was like probably 11 when So Lonely came out because uh Demons and KOD I was 9, I think uh So Lonely I was 11. Fear, I came after school. It was my freshman year of high school to record it, so I was 13 or 14. Um, and then those are, like, the ones that people most know me from in regards to tech stuff. The more recent stuff, I was, you know, 15, 16, 17, et cetera, and same with the other artists. But, yeah, it's crazy because, first of all, a lot of people don't realize that association immediately, um, partially because, you know, the name changed from my uh, government last name to uh, my first and middle name. But... Then, additionally, the fact that I'm literally a child on <laughs> all of these songs. Um, it's it's weird because I'll have, like, my sh- music on shuffle or, like, I remember I was listening to Pandora a couple years ago. I remember it's like it was yesterday. And I was, like, 15, I think. And I, I was doing my makeup and I had my Pandora on. And all of a sudden, for the first time this has ever happened to me, on my Tech 9 channel, I hear my 9-year-old voice start blaring from my speaker and I was like oh my god like this is so weird and also like ugh, like 
no one wants to listen to themselves at nine. (laughs) (laughs) So that's something that, you know, that's a little, that's a little weird. But again, like most of being an artist, I think is cringing at having to listen to yourself, you know, because, you know, first of all, like Tech even talked about, he didn't like his voice for years, like albums worth of not liking his voice, but he still did it because he felt compelled. My thing is more in terms of like, you know, A, a lot of my music that's released right now, I was nine years, 10 years, 11 years old in. And then B, you know, listening to this album, it wasn't until literally like last week, and I'm not exaggerating, that I finally could listen to this album without feeling kind of negative about it. And honestly, that's because writing an album, as I've said a couple times, but and I don't feel like people say enough, is a emotionally violating experience, you know, yeah. especially if it's, uh, you know, I think unless you really get to make all the decisions on it, you aren't ever going to feel totally comfortable. And for me, that was something that, you know, I didn't, you know, my obvi- I, because it was an album that was written with a purpose, right, to, for my label being able to do their pop things. Um, and because that meant that, you know, there was, I didn't get to make all the, you know, all the decisions and all the, uh, you know, final words on it. There were a lot of times where I was uncomfortable with some of the content I was singing about and all that. Um, and was uncomfortable with some of the songs just because of the level of, you know, the kind of subject matter and the level of personalness, right? Um, this was my first time not getting to just pick and choose what I wanted to write about, but rather being told, listen, you really need to write about this. And that's an experience that's very weird because, first of all, whether it be talking about, like, my ex or talking about, you know, struggling with depression or whatever, like, or, like, whatever you're talking about, it's hard to, first of all, look within yourself and find your feelings and then to tell them to essentially a stranger, which is what my co-writer was um, through when I, we first started this process, and then to have to say them out loud and then listen back to yourself saying all your feelings out loud and then know you have to mass produce and sell your feelings. Like, <laughs> that's really, it's really weird. And for me, like, I found myself in this weird situation the other day where I was interviewing for a like tween magazine whose main demographic is like nine to 13 year olds and they're like so what's the track the edge about and I'm like it's about being suicidal like how do I how do I talk to you about this like an 11 year old is gonna read this and that's not like and not to say 11 year olds don't have like don't struggle you know you don't have there's no age limit on emotional depth right and emotional severity right and situations like depression suicide and i get that but at the same time like as i'm interviewing for 11 had zach efron high school musical on the cover and they're asking me like what my title track is about you know it's about feeling like a failure to my parents like dude, like that's an emotionally violating experience man. right <laughs> it's so crazy when you finally got around to listening to the album, you know, what was sort of your, your thoughts and feelings coming out of, li- um, you know, having that listen finally? So I, I've had to listen to, in a lot of ways because, like I said, I'm very involved in every step of the process. And that's why, you know, I end up being an executive producer on my own album because um, I'm almost too involved. Um, it, you know, I've listened to each of these songs hundreds of times because I was supervised every sec- second of mixing and mastering, and I've listened to it for final approval, for like sending it off um, for all different platforms and to get it pressed up into CDs and all that. So I've been listening to it, and not without a weird, like, not without a little bit of bitterness and anger, and honestly, not wanting to hear it. I didn't want to listen to this album, and I. It's negative feelings, right? 
for a number of reasons, and a lot of it being that it's just so emotional and so hard. And honestly, unless you're emotionally stable, which is not my current, like, it's not my present state is not doing emotionally great. Like, um, I don't think that there's ever an, a, a, that there's ever a right time for that sort of intense emotional experience about yourself. And so it naturally kind of puts you in a weird, like, tailspin, right? Yeah. Um, I... Recently, though, you know, the entire album was recorded in 12 days, over 12 studio days, so a song a day, and that was done over about four or five different trips that the jam took out from Los Angeles to our studios in Kansas City over the course of about three months. That was over the summer, and then we obviously recently, um, as we were trying to finalize things, went and re-recorded one of the songs because it had bothered me since it was written. It didn't feel right. And honestly, I had such a negative feeling about it that I just couldn't do it. You know, I just couldn't put it out there in the world. And so I went in and I was only supposed to fill in a verse. And then I went and redid the entire song without telling boss. And so that was <laughs> over well. Um, and so as, after I re-recorded that song, it was weird because, even though, like, yeah, that was the one song I felt the least happy with on the album. But it, even though I didn't redo everything that I maybe would have personally changed um, on the album, because, again, and not to say anything negative about the album, every artist critiques their work or they aren't trying, right? Exactly. Um, but I, I re-recorded the song, and it was a song only with you. And all of a sudden, I had this weird feeling where I suddenly, like, I felt released from the emotion, the negative emotions that I've been feeling before, right? Where all of a sudden it's like I took some ownership back. And like these feel, this album and the content and the feelings and the experience of recording it, like it didn't own me anymore. And I didn't, you know, my feelings didn't affect the way I looked at this project anymore. And so I had, and then I went and I was talking to a close friend about the album and he was like yeah you know that bad is my favorite song i love that song and i was like hey man like that's the most slept on song on the album in my opinion and of all like it's always the song that i feel like men connect with the most i was kind of talking to him about that and it kind of made me go huh i kind of want to listen to that song and then it made me listen to only with you again because i'm like god like i really redid that really well i kind of want to listen to that and then before i knew it um in this moment i'm sitting in my car and i'm driving and I was like, I'm going to listen to my album. And it was the first time that I had, without being required to by work, listen to this album by choice. And at work, everyone knows that, like, it's my least favorite thing to do is sit and listen to this album all the way, like, start to finish. Because who wants to do that? Right. <laughs> I yeah, like, but in this weird, like, really intimate moment um, where I was sitting and listening to this album, for, it was like I heard it for the first time, really. And this just happened, like I said, like maybe last week, maybe week before. Um, and I was like, oh, I get it now. And I think that was a combination. I think I think it's getting, you know, I think I'm a very different person already, like because people are ever-changing than I was when I recorded the album. And I am far away from, you know, the experience of recording it. And now with some time away from it and some time to live with it and grow with it. And again, think re-recording only with you were all defining moments in me finally viewing this album differently because a lot of this 
album, A, was written over the course, like I said, of three months. And most, you know, a lot of the songs are love songs because it's a pop format, right? So when you're doing pop music, no matter what you're talking about, if you can make it sound like it's a love song, then that's better for right. the pop <laughs> format. And so given the fact that that's kind of one of the bound, you know, one of the parameters of doing pop music and it's kind of a challenge, even though there are songs, you know, that are about multiple things, like, for example, like me choosing to, you know, me choosing to do music or me, you know, battling some personal stuff with, you know, that is not relationship related, but is more in like, um, you know, with myself or with some life decisions I've made. Um, a lot of them sound like love songs and are also about this two year on again, off again relationship that I was in. Um, and over the course of the album um, being recorded, those three months, me and this guy got back together again and broke up again over the course of those three months. And so these songs are literally a real time analyzation of that relationship as it was happening again. And of course, you know, that relationship is long over. It ended several months ago after the recording of the album and really without recording the album, I'm not sure I ever would have ended that relationship. So that's really, you know, in that way, it was a very positive, positive takeaway because it was not a good relationship to be in. But, like, there's a difference between writing about something in retrospect and writing about something as it's happening, right? And right. I didn't realize how much I'd feel that difference until I went back and listened to my album and had to re-experience this very, very, like, bad relationship as it was happening to me with very raw, very real emotions um, every time I listened to the album. And it wasn't until I got more closure on that relationship either that that album became easier for me to listen to. And it could become a more positive experience for me, you know? And now recording only with you so many months later, it's not about that guy. And that's something that's really cathartic to me because it, like, there's a sense of, again, there's a next chapter. Because when the entire album, um, when that breakup and all that had just happened and when the entire album was about this guy, again, like, it was just overwhelmed by all this negative energy. And all of a sudden when I got to uh, – when I got to go in and have this song that I did by myself, I went in, I rewrote it, I recorded it, and I got to take and have this this moment where I got to say, okay, this isn't about you. Like, this isn't about him. It isn't about the personal issues I was talking about in the rest of the album. It isn't about, you know, the music. It isn't about anything except for this positive thing that I want it to be about this is the first, you know, this is for me like the prequel for the next chapter hidden in the fabric of this album. And so, again, like, I, you know, I think that it's an emotional, nuanced, multifaceted conglomerate of things that made <laughs> this album something that I recently kind of was able to, for the first time, hear, listen to, and hear rather than listen to and react to the song uh even before this album the song deleted that was your first uh solo single correct um it was the uh yeah it was the technically um acting like you know was my first single as a solo artist okay it was a, a track by Mackenzie nicole but my first um track with no features on it that was by Mackenzie nicole was uh deleted yeah, I still have that that song on my iPod, all these years. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, and that that was a song kind of like about bullying, correct? 
came, and that wasn't ever actually my intention, but ultimately, uh, yeah, it's kind of what it turned into. For me, Deleted um, stemmed from a conversation. It was co-written with Chris Calico, um, my label mate, and for me, the song kind of stemmed from this conversation me and him have, right? We're in Travis's office, and we're all talking about, you know, social media and how much everyone, everyone likes it, but everyone kind of hates it. It's kind of like Taco Bell, right? Like, everyone, like, kind of like you hate it, but you love it, and it's like, kind. It's like you feel it gives you this gross satisfaction. It's awesome. And we were talking about you know YouTube and music videos, and they're like, ah, acting like you know, it's doing pretty good. And I was like, yeah. And Chris was like, you read the comments? I said, no. <laughs> I was like, because ultimately I used to, right? But then I stopped feeling validated by positivity, and I only felt degraded by negativity. And I had to get away from that because it wasn't healthy, and I didn't need it in my life. I have enough things going on. I don't need to add more, right? And so then a couple of weeks later, he came up to me. He's like, hey, I kind of have an idea with what you said the other day. And thus deleted was born, which is this idea of like, listen, I can't even engage, react to, or even vaguely invest in any negativity right now because I just can't afford it. I can't do it. And for me, you know, the bigger conversation this opened for me wasn't a bullying conversation, even though I welcomed that when it came, um, because, you know, if people want an anthem and they find it in my music, cool. I'm happy to oblige, you know, and that's kind of what Lita did. But for me, it was this concept of imagine how much music, how much art, how much, not even, you know, creative, but, you know, scholarly and, you know, scientific endeavors. Imagine how many things that our world lacks, how many, you know, artists never became, how many, you know, scientists and scholars and philosophers never became what their potential was, what they should have been, because they were discouraged, right? To think about that is terrifying, because you know that we'd be in a totally different place if everyone fulfilled the potential of what their passion was leading them to do. And that's what Delita kind of means to me, is, you know, don't be someone whose passion fades or whose passion is smothered by other people's negativity. Because if that happens, then eventually we're never going to have another passion project. It's just going to be all the beautiful things that we have in this world, you know, art, creation, invention, is going to be manufactured, and it will have no heart in it. Because it's easier to take criticism to something you don't care about. So if you're going to react to criticism, eventually you're going to find yourself defaulting to doing things you don't actually care about and that have no meaning. And that means that nothing will have meaning if we, if everyone comes to that. You know what I mean? So that was really uh, what deleted was on a larger scale in my mind. And then it became in a lot of ways. It was picked up as this, you know, anti-negativity, anti-negative you know, negative speak kind of anthem. And I was cool with that because, you know what, like, again, however I can help people, you know, even if it's not what I originally, like, maybe – thought would happen to a song cool i'll take it as someone who grew up in around music and became a solo recording artist as a teenager you know right now the sort of the power of the youth the youth words you know it's kind of like a thing in america right now with you know definitely after the parkland uh, shooting in uh in florida and then with yeah. like all the things going on with uh sort of Kids being, you know, after going to college, having tons and tons of student loans, and there's all these things uh, kind of 
you know, questioning the, the sort of, you know, the youth of America right now. And they definitely have a different outlook. And throughout generations, you always had the youth sort of rebelling against certain things that the older generation tried to put forth on them. So what's your thoughts yeah. about the power of the youth voice in America right now? This is so cool because this is, you know that the youth voice is powerful when this is the second time this week where I've gotten a question in this vein. And it is probably one of my favorites in my, you know, in this several years that I've been doing any sort of interview contributing to or contributing to media in any way, you know. Yeah. It's this is probably my favorite genre of question that's appeared in my life. And honestly, I I love it. I love like it's specifically hone in on like the Parkland kids. Oh my god. Like what I don't what a difference they made. If you look like something I've been obsessed with them honestly. I kind of stand all of them which in a way seems a little bit morbid and gruesome because it's like, "Oh wow, you like have suddenly appeared in the you know, you suddenly have fanaticized these victims of tragedy, but it's not that. It's that if you look on any of my social media, I now, you know, religiously follow all of those kids who have been so adamant and so loud, you know, right. so loud about how they feel. Just because every single day I see one of them say something profound or make some major change or make an appearance or call a politician or some other public figure or another adult on they're BS, you know, and it's incredible. I, it's a, it's a privilege that other generations maybe haven't had, right? Because, you know, for example, you know, the Columbine kids didn't have Twitter and the Sandy Hook kids didn't either. And now they're the right age and have the right availability to talk, you know, it's like you said, or with student loans on a different note, you know, most of my friends are either, you know, in college or, recovering from their debt from college and so that's wild you know i was just talking to a friend of mine who is having to quit a job he likes because yeah if he didn't have hundreds of dollars of loans he's paying monthly he'd be able to stay at his job but he can't because he needs to go to from his you know from a job that he's passionate about in the career field that he wanted to be in and trained to be in to job serving because it pays more and if he works more hours there, you know, it's like, that's messed up. That's not the point. You don't go to college to get your dream job and have to quit it to pay off college. Like that's not, so for all these kids, when I say kids and a lot of them are older than me, but for this generation to speak up in the way they've spoken up, is everyone correct? No. Is everyone well-educated? No, but neither are the adults in the room. And I think the putting everyone on this level playing field, you know, ultimately not to be, you know, crass, but, the kids have longer to, <laughs> have longer to live with the student loans, have longer to live with the legislation being passed right now, have longer to live in the world that's being created right now, mainly by people who are older than them. And so I think it's really wonderful, the youth outreach right now and the youth voice right now. I think that, you know, ultimately it's like, it's like Rage Against the Machine, except for millions of like it's like if you took like every single like rebel against the man type of like rock band from the 90s and then like gave them like put them in the heart of every 18 through like 24 year old you know and that's a loose age bracket but you get what i'm saying that's what it feels like right now and i think that's really wonderful because 
ultimately, yeah, every generation has their version of this, but not every generation has had the accessibility and the ability to have the outreach and cast the net that this generation does with social media. Right, and it's it's crazy because a lot of these kids are, you know, they're 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 fighting back against these uh, older, you know, these this older generation. It's funny that you have like these um, these congressmen or whatever trying to fight these kids on Twitter. When look, these kids grew up on Twitter. They they this is like their battleground. That's the thing. It's like it's really, really weird, man. Like we live in a weird day and age. And what I paralleled it to was, you know, I was listening to a political podcast. I'm very into that sort of thing. Um, politics and everyone is nowadays. So I guess that was a, you know, empty statement, but I was listening to a political podcast where one of the guests said, you know, we should have seen this coming and here's why, you know, life imitates art. What, you know, think about the 90s. Think about the early 2000s. Every single movie was, you know, major world terrorist attacks and buildings burning and, you know, explosions, fire and brimstone, action movie type stuff. And then 9-11 happens. And what's been the biggest franchises or some of the biggest over the last few years, right? Think. It's Hunger Games. It's Divergent. It's these dystopian societies where a ragtag band of teenagers has to figure out how to fix everything. And that's ultimately what has now happened here. We create the world that we're going to see, right? Or the world that we and our, you know, that the back of our psyches expects and is anticipating. We have felt this coming. It's happening. Our less, this is the real life version of, I think, you know, a le- you know, of all these weird teen dystopian movies where things start falling apart. And the youth go, wait a minute, you know, this, because I think the similarity is that they kind of feel like pawns, you know, students feel like pawns to get, you know, to, <laughs> to basically siphon them for their money, you know, and these kids that are, you know, victims of political or victims of gun violence, such as the Parkland kids, feel like political pawns for the left and the right. And, you know, it's not, I think that this is just, what you're saying right now are people who are tired of being used and are saying something about it. Thankfully, those kids are young and aren't waiting until they've already, you know, been beaten and jaded by life and they're in, you know, decades later than they are now and miserable and complacent, you know. They refuse to be complacent. I think that's really cool, you know. I just really, really like that. And I think that you're right. It is weird to watch, like, these politicians who are supposed to be grown, right? Who are supposed to be the adult in the room, right? Getting Twitter fights with a 16-year-old kid who just got shot at, like, a month ago. Like, what is that? I don't even understand. Sorry, I'm yelling at you. (laughs) I don't even understand it. Or to watch, like, to sit and watch, like, you know, a mom takes to Twitter because Nickelodeon interrupted her kid's Paw Patrol airing for 17 minutes of silence and was offended that they brought her toddlers into it. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're complaining about this on Twitter? Like, you're a mom with two toddlers. Like, I can't imagine what that even looks like in application because my parents aren't social media people, so maybe that's just it. But, like, I can't imagine me being like, hey, mom, like, okay, it's time for me to go to school. I'm like, sorry, honey, I'm in a Twitter fight with a 16-year-old. Like, I just can't even, like, oh, my God. And they wonder why kids are annoyed. Like, they wonder why they are 
are 19, 20-year-old kids with no respect for them. It's because you're going after them. You're trying to troll them on social media. Like, it's so weird. <sighs> Sorry, I'm winded now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Um, to kind of close things out, uh, this is a question I always uh, ask everybody at the end of the, of, of the interview. Uh, who is somebody that's been a part of your life career that I could realistically interview that would have good stories? Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, I think that I'm trying to think of the go-to. Obviously, someone is strange. Um, it would probably be um, probably Tech. Tech would be a great person. Um, that's obviously something that could be easily set up because I could literally text him now and figure <laughs> out a time for you. Like, so that's definitely realistic. Um, and, yeah, I think that he'd be a pretty good one because people, you know, people know him and he knows me. And like you, I've said here before, he's like family. And so I'd say that was probably my first choice. Yeah, I um. That would be great one. I've always been a fan of his. I did interview him a long time ago. This was probably about 2010, 2011, uh, for, um, back when I was writing for uh, Real Detroit Weekly. And it's funny that th that dude has like the craziest memory because he was telling me a story about doing a show in Detroit and looking for ski masks. And he was like going through all these different uh, liquor stores and everything. And, and finally one person... <laughs> And finally, one person said, well, the, all the liquor, all the ski masks are gone because all the criminals took him. <laughs> <laughs> I actually know the story you're talking about. <laughs> like, the believe it or not. Yeah, no, he's, he's great. There's no story like a Tech 9 story, let me tell you. Um, I, just for example, um, like, just as a quick, before we get off the phone, I got to tell you this. So I never really partied a lot in high school. Like, I never partied at all. Like, I have very strict parents. And so the first house party I ever went to in my life was at 16 or 17. I was like 16 or 17, and I think I was 17, actually, so it was very recently. And it was Tech's current girlfriend's birthday party. And so naturally, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, he comes up to me and says, hey, what are you doing tonight? Well, we're at work one day. And I was like, ah, nothing. He's like, well, if you want to come by, you know, you want to come by the crib, like, we're having a get-together for my girl, and, you know, it's going to be good. There's going to be Jamaican food, and I'd just really like to have you there. And, you know, that's the thing about tech is that if he asks you to do something, like, it's very much, like, he's like a little kid. It's heartfelt and do not disappoint him type thing because it will break his heart. And don't obviously don't say I said that because he'll be like, you know, he'll get all, like, gangsterish on me and be mad at me for saying he'll break his heart. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, so I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go. And so, like, little, like, socially inept Mackenzie shows up at the door, and mind you, we live, like, two minutes away from each other. So I drove, and I parked on the curb, and I'm looking around all these cars, and it's, like, very much, I'm, you know, I'm starting to realize as I'm listening to music just blaring from inside his house, and maybe I made a mistake, and this isn't going to be my scene. And so <laughs> I walk in his house, and it's just, all like people I don't know, definitely not my you know demographic or my like anyone I'd ever hang out with. I finally see JL in the corner because I don't recognize anyone, but everyone keeps saying hi, Mackenzie, so I know they know who I am. <laughs> I can't find tech anywhere. I'm freaking out. I just walked in with a handcrafted bouquet of flowers for his girlfriend, and I feel very out of place. And so I'm kind of wandering around, and I'm like, okay, this doesn't feel right. 
And I finally find JL. I'm like, hey, where's Tech? And I look, and JL's like really stoned. And he's like, I can tell he's just kind of tolerating me. And so I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. And so then finally Tech comes, like I hear Tech's voice, and I'm like, ah, safety. And I'm like, hey, I'm here. Okay, I'm I'm gonna head out now. He's like, no, you can't head out. We got Jamaican food. And he's been drinking a lot. And I'm like, no, no, it's okay. He goes, hey, everybody, everybody else can't do the call, right? And starts parading me through this house where I'm clearly dying inside. <laughs> and it's loud, and there's music, and people are drinking, and I don't drink, so I'm just like, oh my god. And so I go downstairs and I watch Nightmare um, Before Christmas in his basement for like 15 minutes and left. <laughs> so like, there's never a dull time with tech. Um, we went roller skating recently um, it, when we were on vacation in like Haiti and Puerto Rico and stuff. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, he's the person to ask for stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, I I know, I know, I know. Um, yeah, before we uh, before we uh, end this interview, where can people uh, find you online to check out your music or any information about you? Um, so you can find me first of all on all streaming platforms as Mackenzie Nicole on Instagram at the Real Mackenzie Nicole, and then on every other social media as Mackenzie Nicole. You know, Twitter. Facebook, all that fun stuff. Great, yeah. I think oh, we, I think, also, I think we also, follow also, each other on uh, on Instagram. Ooh, yeah, I think we do actually. Yeah. Well, hey, that you already found me. Right. <laughs> all right, it's been it's been a pleasure talking with you. Um, you know, good luck on everything. I'm glad. You know, congrats on the debut album. Well, thank you so much. Thanks so much. Really, Ben. You know, it's a privilege to get to talk to you. I love, I love doing stuff like this because, you know, so many interviews are like rapid fire, like quick question, quick answer. But having a conversation is something, you know, you don't get to do very often as an artist. And I really appreciate you for it. Okay, so that was my interview with Mackenzie Nicole. She was super cool to talk to. Go cop that uh, new album, her first album, her debut album on Strange Maine. It's called The Edge. Comes out this Friday, April 13th. You can uh, you can pre-order it now. All the information is on the show notes for this episode on freshisthepodcast.com. And if you want to listen or subscribe to Fresh is the Word, uh, we are available pretty much everywhere. iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn. Just uh, type in Fresh is the Word and hit the subscribe button. And if you can, especially on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, leave... Leave a rating. Leave five stars. It'll let, help me build this, uh, this podcast up some more. I really need your help on that. Please do that. And also, if you want to follow me online, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly Omega Fresh, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash KFresh, and I'm on Mixcloud at Mixcloud.com slash Rensoul. And you can also follow Fresh is the Word online on Twitter at FITW Podcast, on Instagram at Fresh is the Word Podcast, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Fresh is the Podcast, on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash Fresh is the Word Podcast. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Please, uh, you know, go on, on Fresh is the Podcast.com and please just share any of uh, the links on there on your social medias. And feel free to uh, tag me or the podcast accounts on whatever you do. I want to see. I want. I want to know what you think. I want to know your your feedback on these these episodes. This week's fresh pick of the week 
is, is somebody that I uh, came across a few years ago. Her name is Nicole Dallenganger. Uh, she is a, a uh, Ontario, Canada-based singer-songwriter. Uh, I came across her a few years ago with her, uh, with her 2015 album, uh, Natural Born Losers. And I was like so blown away because it was so unique. It was like, best way to describe it is like, I feel like she's singing these dark, post-apocalyptic, yet beautiful lullabies. I feel like you can like, like I feel like even when you're listening to the music, you wouldn't hear the war going on in the background. You can hear sort of a destruction of something going on in the music. And her voice is just so unique that you're like, it's just, it's very captivating. Um, Recently, she just released a teaser for her new album called Heart Shaped Box. She uh, released five songs on her Bandcamp. Uh, so if you go to nicoledollinganger.bandcamp.com, you can listen to those five songs. I believe the rest of the album is coming later on this year during the summertime. So I'm, and these first five songs are incredible. I, I'm super psyched that there's, more, there's new music coming out. She has a, a really strong discography of albums and cover songs also on her band camp. So listen to it all. You know, I, I think some of it's even free to download, but she is definitely somebody that I've been very much a huge, huge fan of for, you know, a few years now since that Natural Born Losers album. So please go, uh, the fresh pick of the week this week is Heart Shaped Bed by Nicole Dollinganger. So that's about it for this week's Fresh is the Word podcast. Like always, thanks for listening. Goodbye and good night. Fresh, 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 fresh is the word.